It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. If this bill is passed through the House, through the Senate and ultimately at the White House, we will repeal repeal this. We will fight every day to make sure leadership protects the American citizen's right to keep and bear arms. And in appropriations, we will defund this. This is unconstitutional. They have a membership and a a business model that uh, will not allow them to, uh, uh, to support any legislation. All right, we and don't need so to hear the rest of that. That's John Cornyn. Uh, we, the first part you heard was Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from Colorado, and she's talking about the gun bill that's being discussed right now. Uh, we had 14 Republicans uh, sign on, uh, uh, vote uh, to move move the, the, I don't know what the exact uh, term is, but it's not cloture yet. They have to have 60 votes for cloture, but because the 14 Republicans voted in favor of the next step, we know they have the votes for cloture. And it's going to happen today. This cloture vote is going to happen today, and Schumer says he's going to pass it tomorrow. They have to have 30 hours of debate, and then it will pass. And so I want to cut to the chase here. Uh, we know that John Cornyn and, uh, and a Democrat and 10 other Republicans and, Cong- and Democrats did this behind closed doors. They brought it out on the floor minutes before the senators were supposed to vote for it. Uh, Senator Lee and others were appalled because this is not the way it's done. Cornyn was barking at the senators. Why you? Ha- it's only 80 pages. What are you complaining about? You can read it. Why can't you read it faster? Uh, and so with that, we had, um, we're going to talk about the contents in the bill in a second, but I want to tell you who voted, what 14 Republican senators voted to move this bill on. It was Mitch McConnell, who thinks it's a wonderful Compromise. Joni Ertz, the uh, military veteran who, you know, boasted about that to get elected from Iowa. Todd Young, Shelley Moore Capito, Lisa Murkowski, Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Senator John Cornyn, Lindsey Graham, Rob Portman, and Mitt Romney, and Tom Tillis. So here's the thing. Before I introduce my next guest, I wanted to cut to the chase because uh, really the only way we can stop this is to have you call your senators especially the ones I just called out, but all of your senators, to let them know this is a very big deal to you as an American. Don't do that. Not when the Democrats are in charge. You cannot make a compromise. And so uh, my best suggestion is for you to call the local office. I think that's more powerful always. Find out, look up your senator, call them all, and tell them to vote no on this bill. And uh, we're going to give you the reasons why uh, with John Law. John is the founder of Crime Research Prevention Center, Crime Prevention Research Center. And John's a good friend. He's, he's a professor. Uh, he is, didn't start out this way. He was a statistician and a professor in major universities. But he got drawn into the gun issue, I guess, in his experiences in Chicago. And that's how 
we became friends. He's written the book More Guns, Less Crime, uh, but John and other books too, but I'm trying to hurry. John, thanks for joining me last minute this morning. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's fine to talk to you. appreciate you being there. Thanks, Sandy. John, John uh, what are the most objectionable parts of this bill? Well, I mean, there are a few, but uh, one is uh, this so-called red flag, uh, these extreme risk protection orders that they're going to be funding to try to encourage states to to try to adopt. Uh, look, everybody wants to go and stop people who are dangerous to themselves or others from being able to go and obtain a gun. Uh, there's already better laws on the books that can be used. Uh, they go by different names, and Florida is called Baker Act, and California is called 5150. But all 50 states have laws that if somebody is a danger to themselves or somebody else, and people go and alert the police, the police can come. If the police think that there's what they call reasonable suspicion, which is like a 20% probability or more, then they can take the person in for a mental health uh, evaluation. And if the mental health experts think that there's a concern there, that the person may be a danger to themselves or others, uh, there can be an immediate hearing that occurs. Uh, if you can't afford a lawyer, one's provided for you. And, uh, and then at that point, a judge, if he is concerned, has a range of options, anything from going and saying that, uh, look, I'm concerned. I want, if you go and see mental health care professionals, uh, I want to have you back in uh, a week or two and we'll reevaluate to taking away a person's guns if they want to go and uh, involuntarily commit the person. The thing is, <clears throat> with these red flag laws, the, w the way they work is they, they, they strip out these basic protections that people have. Uh, all a judge sees when he makes a decision as a written complaint. Um, there's no cross-examination. There's no questioning of evidence or witnesses. It's only the, the piece of paper there. And the judge, based on that piece of paper, will go and decide to take away somebody's guns at that point. At a later point, maybe within a month or so, there'll be a hearing. Uh, but a lot of harm can occur in there. And the thing is, if you really believe these laws are virtually always used for concerns about suicide, and if somebody is suicidal, the notion that simply taking away a person's guns is going to protect them from committing suicides is just not a serious proposition. I mean, there's so many ways for somebody to go and commit suicide. If you really believe that somebody is suicidal, you have to do more than, than take away a person's guns. You have to involve mental health professionals involved, uh, and you might even have to involuntarily commit the person uh, in order to make sure that that's not going to happen. If you really think somebody's suicidal, uh, you have to do much more than just take away guns. But gun control people want to make it so that you think, well, if I only take away a person's guns, then that solves the problem that's there. That's all you need to do is take away a person's guns to fix things. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, that's just one of the the issues that are there. Now they, uh, John, you know what occurs to me? 
Hold hold that thought for a second. I just want to interject. The, one, sure. the thing that occurs to me when you say that is that we're, as we're learning more about the Uvalde shooting, where 19 kids and two teachers were murdered by that student, we're learning that a, a husband of one of the teachers that was killed, uh, she had contacted him, said that she had been shot, and he rushed to the school with his gun. I think he was a policeman. And they took his gun. Right. The police there took his gun away and made him leave the building. My my point is only that that gun could have prevented the slaughter of those children in that classroom. And so that's why we just have to, as you always do, point out that guns do save lives. But don't you see, but, John, I guess the thing that frightens well, me is the, the, the potential abuse look, of red flag laws. The abuse oh yeah, frightens sure. me. Look, no, sure. I mean, somebody can be upset with somebody. As I say, all the judge sees is the piece of paper that's there when they make the decision. And uh, and people may do it for all sorts of reasons. Now, some of the states that have these red flag laws have penalties if you lie. But the problem is people make false reports to police all the time. And you never, I mean, I, I've been involved in law enforcement. Uh, you'd never see uh, people being uh, charged and convicted of uh, of false reports to police. That's just something that doesn't happen. And so the risks for somebody making uh, false complaints, even in the states which do say that there's a penalty for making a false complaint with red flag laws, is really just non-existent. But, you know, uh, you had the quotes uh, from uh, Cornyn. Well, one of the things that he promised before uh, this bill was put forward was that there would be what is called due process, that there would be a hearing uh, that you would be able to go and, and have a lawyer and, and question the evidence against you uh, before the gun's taken away. He promised that due process would be in the bill. The thing is, when you actually read the bill, they say, okay, uh, this stuff should be entered in, but they don't say when. Okay, so, I mean, you can have a hearing then a month or so after uh, after the gun's taken away. I'll give you an example. The executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, Nikki Gozer, uh, about a decade ago, she watched as her husband was murdered in front of her by one of her stalkers. And uh, you've had her on your show in the yes. past. Mm-hmm. And as anybody who would have something like that happen, uh, she was devastated. She was incredibly depressed afterwards. Well, you could imagine somebody who could be well-meaning, not just somebody who's doing something maliciously. Could be a friend or a neighbor or somebody who could say, look, Nikki's very depressed. Uh, I know she has a gun. And and go and put in a complaint uh, that the judge would see. The thing is, taking away her ability to go and defend herself after one of her stalkers just murdered her husband in front of her uh, would be devastating. I mean, it would add, it would compound it on top of compounding the problem that was there. Yeah. And it would John, make her much more depressed. Sure. John, let me jump in because we're going to run out of time. So the bottom line here is I'm trying to get listeners to call their senators this morning and tell them to vote 
no on this federal bill, which will right. take away a lot of people's guns unright, unrightfully. There's a lot of other things to object, but you need to call your senator at your home office, at his office, in your state, his or her office. That's more personal. That scares them more than some call to the D.C. office, I can tell you. But, John, there are other things. Like, I think there's like $100 million for the FBI in this. I think that's the figure that I remember. There are a lot of things to object to in this bill besides that, Right. Right. No, I mean, I mean, your husband worked for the FBI, and I mean, look, uh, there's more money for mental health. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But the thing is, this does nothing really to go and stop these types of mass public shootings, which is supposedly the motivation. You mentioned uh, the Texas school shooting. Thirty uh, percent of the schools in Texas have armed teachers and staff. Not this one not the one where it occurred. You take the Tulsa hospital shooting, that was a gun-free zone. You take the Buffalo shooting. If you actually read the person's manifesto, he talks about what his ideal target is, and he wanted to pick a target where he knew victims weren't able to go and defend themselves. He explicitly talks about that. And so, you know, we have three of these shootings that occurred that are motivating supposedly this law that's there, and they don't deal with the basic problem that's there, that these people may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal is to kill as many people as possible because they know the more they kill, the more media attention that they can get. Well, the way you take that away from them is to have somebody who's there quickly on the scene to be able to go in and stop the attack that's there. And, and, you know, they won't deal with that. Instead, look, over half the uh, attackers, mass public shooters in the last 25 years, were actually seeing mental health care professionals prior to their attacks. And yet not one single case did the mental health care professionals identify these individuals as a danger to themselves or others. You take the Buffalo shooter. He was, he was seeing, um, he saw mental health care professionals after he made a threat. They didn't identify him as a danger to himself or others. Yeah. And so we hear this over and over and over again, especially with these kids in school, that they have long histories of bizarre behavior of killing animals and all kinds of things, and no one reports them. And so this has to be addressed, no doubt about it, but they cannot, they cannot, they, they shall not, they must not take away the uh, firearms, the ability to protect yourself. Uh, Give them this power. We can't do this right now. Crimeresearch.org is John's uh, website. They have great information there with Crime Prevention Research Center. John Lott, thank you as always, John, and I'll talk to you soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today more than half of that village 
follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice. His wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Hey, this is Evangelist Nick Hall. Coming this summer, Together 22. 50 years ago, Explo 72, led by Billy Graham, rallied an entire generation to share the gospel. This summer, June 24th and 25th, we're doing it again. And it's free. Together 22 will feature some of the biggest names in Christian music, some of the best preachers coming to equip you. More information at Pulse.org. Former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens made national news the other day. He's running for the U.S. Senate. He's armed with a weapon in his latest campaign ad, surrounded by men wearing camo, busting into a house looking for rhinos, Republicans in name only. There's no bagging, no tagging. Get a rhino hunting permit. That's what he said. Critics called that rhetoric dangerous. Now, there's no doubt in the heat of the moment, politicians will say things that they regret. But Mr. Greitens did not regret what he said. Words matter, even in politics. And when you're running around with guns saying you want to bag and tag your political enemies, well, that's a problem. Now, some of you are probably thinking, come on, Starnes, it's just politics. Well, conservatives exploded in anger when President Obama once said, if Republicans bring a knife to the fight, Democrats should bring a gun. And we were right to be angry. Both sides need to tone down the rhetoric. Happy warriors, America. We've got to be happy warriors. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I'm the wife of Ryan Nichols. He is a husband, a father of two young boys, ages five and just eight. I I stand here next to Patty Nichols and Don Nichols. And my husband has not seen his children in 514 days. My children do not remember what their father looks like. We have been denied access to see him, not even on video. Have we been access, been denied access to see him, not even on video, due to COVID? My husband is a Marine veteran. He served his country honorably. He has not been convicted of any crime, and he has no criminal history. 
He has been labeled as an insurrectionist, and the narrative that they are trying to play is inaccurate. Mm -hmm. My husband owns a nonprofit called Rescue the Universe, where he goes all around the nation rescuing elderly women, children, and animals in hurricanes and natural disasters. He is a hero in his community. And he's been featured on Ellen DeGeneres and many other media stations for his rescue efforts. That is who Ryan Nichols is. All right, Sandy Rios with you. You heard that last week. That was the voice of Bonnie Nichols. Uh, she introduced herself, and that was at a press conference uh, right outside of the Capitol. There are, there's an area, well, there are several areas, but there's one in particular where press conferences are held on a regular basis. Most of the time, honestly, you never hear about them. You know, the media doesn't show up if they're conservative press conferences. And I wasn't there that day, so I don't know how it went down. I do know that uh, someone that was there was Stephen Colbert and his team with their stupid puppet. Sorry for saying stupid. My mother would not be pleased, but it just re- it's just horrifying to me how they're mocking what's happening. Bonnie Nichols, then when I got, uh, when I got back into my inbox, I had the sweetest voice with the sweetest email. It was the voice of Bonnie calling... Uh, to thank us for our support for all of those guys incarcerated around the country, but especially in the D.C. jail. And um, so I wanted a chance to talk to Bonnie, and we've asked her to join us this morning. So, Bonnie Nichols, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you for having me here today. I appreciate you guys. Well, you you did a great job that morning and or afternoon. And um, by the way, I should say that Ryan, her husband, is being represented by Joseph McBride, who's been our guest uh, you've seen him on television. He's just a, a hero on a, in his own way. It's just not easy right now for an attorney to take on this project, and he's thrown himself into it, um, heart and soul. Uh, Bonnie, uh, tell us about that day on the uh, ellipsis by the Capitol. How did that press conference go from your perspective? And uh, just tell me about that experience. So it was a it was a very scary experience um, to speak in front of the press. Um, We were harassed that day by the Colbert uh, team um, and some of their their media crew. Uh, But I I felt uh, a duty to be there to speak on behalf of the families and the children um, that have been heartbroken and afraid to speak out um, and share the truth. Um, We've had death threats, hate mail, CNN coming to our door and our business. um, And it's just harassment uh, by the media. So uh, it was it was good speaking out and sharing our story and um, and and just knowing that that God is protecting us because this is much bigger than just me. This is this is much bigger than me. And so um, I, I felt like God spoke through me that day. And I, I didn't even remember what I said. I had to rewatch it again <laughs> because my nerves were so shot. Um, yeah. But uh, it's I'm thankful to just be speaking out. Well, I, I think that's a sign often that God is speaking through you. When you do something really powerful like that and you don't remember what you said, you can pretty much see God's hand in that, Bonnie. And mm-hmm. uh, that took a lot of courage. And I, I listen, I just, I am i don't know you, but I'm proud of you. Can I say that? I'm really proud of you for doing that. I We interviewed uh, Jerry Perna, who's Matthew Perna's aunt, oh, a month or so ago. And Matthew is the, um, he was not detained, but he was accused. And he was on... Um, I don't know what you'd call it, house arrest. I think it was in Pennsylvania. And his community turned on him so horribly uh, because they printed his paper, his address, and he was well-known. He was well-loved. He was a very sensitive guy. And just the pressure from community, he ended up uh, hanging himself 
which is horrible. And I just want to mention that because I want people to understand the kinds of pressures you're talking about. They're real. Um, are you finding that down in Texas where you guys are from, are, are, is the community supporting you, Bonnie? Or are you getting a lot of negative like vibes or glances or whatever you might say? It's, it's not so bad down here in Texas. Um, it, it was at the beginning. Um, like I said, we re- we received death threats and hate mail. Um, the, the left media was coming in, knocking on our door where our kids laid our, their heads at night. We had to shut our business down for a few months, um, due to the harassment by CNN and MSNBC. Um, it, it was horrible. Um, but I will say that we do have more conservatives here. And so um, we haven't been targeted as bad as some of the other wives that I've spoken with. You sent me a great bio of Ryan, and let me just uh, repeat that. You you talk about him being a star athlete, both in football and uh, also uh, a baseball captain of his team. He attended Howard Payne University and then East Texas Baptist University and decided to drop out so he could enlist in the U.S. Marine Corps. Did you know him then? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I met Ryan while he was in the Marine Corps. Okay. He well, he had a pre- Go ahead. Japan at the time, uh, and we met on Facebook, and uh, we we skyped for like five to six hours every night for four months before we actually met in person. I knew I was going to marry him before we ever met in or physically touched in person. <laughs> oh my goodness, Bonnie! What what's your background? Do you have a? I know you run the business now, but what's your what's your educational background and your interest? I mean, who is Bonnie? <laughs> so so currently, um, I own a business. Um, I went to school. I, I graduated high school when I was sixteen years old, and I went to college. I wanted to be a dentist, um, and I, I dropped out of school and got married and had kids. And we opened up our our business uh, shortly after that. And over the last eight years, we've been helping people become financially free and successful um, in e-commerce. And we also own a nonprofit called Rescue the Universe, where we serve the community and do search and rescue efforts during times of natural disasters. So Ryan is also a community, and uh, he's also a hero in his community, and he's been recognized for his work on Ellen DeGeneres and many other talk shows and and news stations for rescuing women, uh, animals, uh, during hurricanes and natural disasters. So that, that's what we do. It, did I understand correctly that uh, Ryan's exposure to, like, natural disasters was happened in the course of his duties as a Marine? Is that right? Is that how that started? Yes, ma'am. Tell us a little bit, at least, about that. So Ryan, uh, his first uh, rescue mission was when he was 13 years old, I believe, uh, with Hurricane Katrina. Um, his dad is a preacher here in Longview, Texas, and they went over there uh, to help rescue people in drowning waters uh, before he joined the military. Um, and then afterwards, um, as he was in the in the military, he, he did lots of search and rescue work. Um, Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Harvey, um, Hurricane Sally. Um, there's everything. I mean, he, he spent every single weekend that he could going out, taking the boat out. Uh, we were, we were donated, um, a, a rescue boat by Ellen DeGeneres. She actually gave us, um, a free honeymoon vacation to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> we had never had a, uh, we never had a honeymoon, uh, but we decided to, to take that money instead and invest that in a rescue boat so that we can uh, continue helping more people. Um, 
So that's just a little bit of a background on Ryan so people can understand. But now, as you said in your opening, Ryan is incarcerated in the D.C. gulag, and he's been there for over 500 days, or at least incarcerated for over 500 days. Yes, ma'am, that's correct. 522 days. Wow. And your little boys are five and eight. And um, tell us, Bonnie, the effect that it's having on your family. So our our family, um, we are heartbroken. Um, my children are losing hope that they will ever, ever see their daddy again. Um, they haven't seen their daddy in 522 days. Uh, we, we can't even see him on video they, because they don't have the COVID shot. Um, my youngest told Ryan on the phone, he's five, um, Daddy, I don't remember what you look like. Will, will I ever see you again? And it, it's heartbreaking to watch my children every single day when I lay them in bed at night, say a prayer um, and ask God to bring their daddy home, you know, and it's horrible that my children are having to go through this uh, because of this corrupt government and two-tier justice system. Ryan's been denied access. I mean, he's a veteran with PTSD, and they've been putting him in prolonged solitary confinement and torturous conditions. He's been denied due process. Um, He's not able to view the evidence against him. He's being denied access to worship. They haven't. They didn't give him a haircut or a shave or cut his fingernails or toenails in over a year. The guards told him to chew his toenails off. He's been beaten, starved. He hasn't been outside in months. They put chemicals in their food and pubic hairs. He's been thrown in the hole for punitive reasons. And they turned his water off, which resulted in him being put on suicide watch due to these conditions. And like I said, you know, Ryan has no criminal history and he's never been convicted of any crime. How is this happening in America? Bonnie, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. You know I can't. I could give you long theories, and I we've had a front row seat to this, but this is one of the gravest injustices I've ever seen in my life in this country. You know, short of uh, the the injustice toward black Americans, like in the 30s and the 20s, the hangings, the water mm-hmm. in the 50s, the water hoses, all that was a gr- terrible injustice. This is, all, this is equally a horrible injustice. And I want to pause to do something practical here. If you don't mind, I want to tell people that there is, for this reason, for these families, there is going to be a J6 Truth and Light Freedom Festival. It's going to be in Springfield, Missouri, July the second through the third, uh, and uh, you can go to. Just a second, I'm going to get the uh, address for you. you. Can you can go to register for the event at uh, j6truth.org. J6truth.org, and you can find you can dine, donate. By the way, because you know none of them have much money. They just don't. They've been a lot of their businesses have been bankrupted. Uh, their their families have been left destitute. It's just horrific. But um, givesandgo.com slash January 6th Truth and Light Freedom Festival. Gifts and go. go. Go to January 6th Truth and Light Freedom Festival. And if you will, Bruce and I are going to donate, and I really encourage. That will help families come and be together. It's not just the families that are invited, though. It's all kinds of things. You can all come. But you have to go through it. You don't have to jump through a few hoops because we want to make sure that you they're safe. It's only twenty five dollars a day, but uh, they need your help. 
uh, uh, Bonnie, um, how, you know, you're not very old and you've got these two little kids and you are without your husband. How are you coping? How, what is your biggest source of comfort? Or is there one? Is this just despair or is there a source of comfort you, for you? It's, it's a complete nightmare. I never thought that this would happen to my family. Um, I am remaining strong. Um, I, I am holding it together for my children. I know I had a choice that I could have given up um, or I could have stood up and rose up and did what was required in order to win and show up for my family. Um, and I know that this is just temporary, uh, but I choose that my testimony gets to be that I showed up in my power with God and I did what needed to be done uh, for my husband, so emotionally supporting my husband and my children and holding it together, taking care of the business and running it and finding a way to pay for these legal fees. Um, but it's not easy. And there's times that, uh, that it's, it's complete, utterly darkness, you know. Um, but I know that with God, all things are possible and we will get through this. Well, you know, that's true. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's a bitter pill to swallow when you're going through it. But it is true, Bonnie. It is true uh, that God is faithful. Uh, and his time, uh, his sense of time is not ours. And we don't realize how short life is and how short our tribulations and trials. And this is coming from a mom of a severely disabled child who took care of her in my home for 20 years. So I know a little bit about long-term sorrow. Uh, but I'm telling you that God is faithful. That's all I can tell you. Just choose to trust him. In spite of what you're experiencing, you know who he is. You know how faithful he is. And so you draw on your intellect, not your heart, in this. And you uh, choose to, tr- to trust God. Um, so did you get to see Ryan at all while you were in D.C.? I mean, not silly. I know you didn't get to see him, but did you get to have any contact at all with him while you were in D.C.? We did. We actually were able to get in um and I got to see him, and it was so nice. Um, it was so good to see him. He He's definitely lost a lot of weight. Um, he's, he's got raccoon eyes uh, due to lack of nutrition. Uh, but just being able to see a smile, you know, gave me hope. And it was it was amazing. that The time was cut short, uh, but it refueled me to just keep going. So it was it was really great. His mother was able to see him. His father was able to see him. Uh, and and it was truly a blessing. I, I, I give that thanks to God because yeah. it's it's been 522 days since my children have been able. They don't let children into the jail. Yeah. All right. Well, Bonnie, you have done a tremendous service just by uh, telling people your story, and they will be praying for you. And let me remind them they can help. They can help you also. Uh, how can they reach? What what website can they go to to help Ryan and you in particular? Yes, ma'am. So um, if you still call to help, uh, please donate to our Give, Send, Go link. Um, you can go to GiveSendGo.com and type in Ryan Nichols on the search bar. Um, we need your help. We can't do this alone. Um, we have an amazing attorney, Joseph McBride, who's been selflessly yes. working to uncover the truth. Bonnie, love you. Thank you. We'll pray for you. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. I just have a hard time believing that many Hispanics who are very family-oriented and oriented towards traditional values want men, young men, declaring themselves to be women, going into restrooms 
and locker rooms and changing areas with their daughters. I would dare say that they're more conservative on those issues than white people. Yes, in general. Today's issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. So, Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God, and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Sometimes there's a delay between crying out to God in prayer and seeing those prayers answered. It is imperative for us in those times that we don't waver in our confidence in our God. The next verse goes on to say, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, the delay between supplication and delivered answer is one of the ways God develops endurance in us. He desires that the roots of our faith grow down deep, that we become trees planted by rivers of living water, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in His work. In this, we grow beyond superficial Christianity. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Did you know you can't sink if you swim in the Dead Sea? You can't sink. You can't uh, drown. And we're going to go to the Dead Sea, and we're going to take a swim, and you can find out if what I'm saying is true or not. That's coming up in March 2023 on our annual trip to Israel. That's right. We're going to the Holy Land in March of 2023. Now, if you want the dates, the cost, the itinerary, everything about the tour, all you need to do is go to TWHolyLand.com. TWHolyLand.com. Everything is there. And if you want to join us, we're already getting a lot of people sign up to go because there's such a pent-up demand to go to Israel because it was closed down basically for two years because of COVID. Well, you can go now and you don't have to have a vaccine shot, okay? TWHolyLand.com. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Just as the danger posed by the Chinese Communist Party is reaching unprecedented heights, the Biden State Department has chosen an old friend of China to manage the bilateral relationship. Evidently, Hunter Biden wasn't available. Instead, Tom Donilon got the gig. As Barack Obama's national security advisor, he presided over the surrender of the South China Sea to Beijing. These days, he runs an investment institute for Larry Fink's financial management firm, BlackRock which the CCP recently rewarded for its service to China with the first wholly foreign-owned mutual fund business there. Such service by BlackRock has included playing a leading role in transferring 3 to $6 trillion in U.S. investments to CCP front companies. It also recently helped such companies gain access to the retirement savings of federal employees and military personnel. The Times demand American patriots in charge, not China's old friends. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
All right, Sandy Rios back with you. I, I do want to repeat information that Bonnie gave us a few minutes ago and also about that retreat. Or it's not a retreat, it's a festival. Freedom Festival for the January 6th. They're putting this on and they're inviting the families to have kind of a respite, but also people that are, you know, of one mind with them to come. So if you're uh, anywhere near, uh, actually, we were pl- hoping to attend, but I, I'm not able to now. But uh, if you can go, man, can you imagine what an encouragement? You could be with them, next to them, these families, and talk to them about their circumstances and encourage them. And it's very inexpensive, $25 a day, you know, for two days. Um, So with Bonnie Nichols, just to remind you that she and her little kids need help. They need help. They've got to play these legal bills, and they've got to survive. And uh, it's giftsandgo.com, and you just enter Ryan Nichols, and that's how you can help Bonnie uh, and help Ryan and the family. Gibsongo.com, Ryan Nichols. But also on this Freedom Festival, uh, it's called the Truth, January 6th Truth and Light Freedom Festival. Um, and they say, this is their own description America has forgotten what Independence Day is all about. Unbeknownst to many, we have political prisoners in the United States and their constitutional rights are being severely violated. Um, Then it goes on, the families and loved ones of these politically persecuted patriots are suffering after losing, in many cases, their primary source of income. Many of those who are not incarcerated have nevertheless lost their jobs or businesses. You cannot let these wonderful American patriots be forgotten. We are holding a festival retreat in Missouri, July 2nd through the 3rd, to raise awareness for the January 6th political prisoners, as well as provide a retreat for the patriots and their loved ones. Okay, so this is how you connect with them. Okay, if you want to register or look at the event, go to j6truth.org, j6truth.org. If you want to help them, because you know they don't have a lot of money, if you'd like to give some money to help them put this Faith and Freedom Festival, Truth and Light Freedom Festival on, and again, I say, and I'm saying this not to brag, but I'm saying it to encourage you, uh, to give money. Bruce and I are going to do this. We want to help them. And I'm hoping that many of you listening that can't go will also do that. You can go to givesingo.com slash January 6th Truth and Light Freedom Festival. January spelled out January 6th Truth and Light Freedom Festival at Givesingo. And um, we will put these on our getter page uh, because that's what we're going to do so that you can go there and get that if you didn't catch it, if you're driving or whatever. Um, I want to mention one other thing unrelated before I go back to the business as usual here. Um, tonight, uh, and I'm, I usually don't advertise uh, uh, local events, but this is, has a broader implication. John McGuire, the delegate from Virginia, was with us a couple of days ago, and John is um, sponsoring a showing of 2,000 mules tonight at Goochland High School at 7 o'clock. And uh, the reason I'm talking about that is because there's been all kinds of efforts to stop this. Uh, preventions of letting it be shown in Virginia. So uh, John has just stood steady. He's not giving up. And um, he's gotten special permission from Dinesh D'Souza to show it for free. And so it's happening tonight at Goochland High School at 7 o'clock. And if you want to go, though, you have to sign up because you could imagine some really bad people might want to come and ruin it. I can't imagine who that might be. Can you? And so you need to go to John at McGuire for Virginia.com. John at McGuire, M-C-G-U-I-R-E, John at McGuireForVirginia.com. It's a free event, uh, but you do need to register because of the all the bad people that ruin everything for the rest of us, right? So, um, all right, something really important now. I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can because I think this is such an important story. 
Uh, I've talked to you about, um, I've given you my very strong opinions, which have not changed since the last time we spoke, uh, that John Eastman is being painted as the villain in these J6 hearings. Mike Pence is being painted as the hero. And uh, one thing, I just to give you a little background here, it looks as though, according to the New York Times, if you can trust them, and often you can't, uh, but we do know this is true because they did actually come forward and testify that Pence's uh, people and attorneys have been talking to the J6 committee since the beginning of the summer. Mark Short testified. Mark, when John uh, Mike Pence hired him when he became vice president and hired uh, Mark as his chief of staff, we knew Mark Short was a never-Trumper. He hated Trump. And yet Mike, uh, for whatever reason, hired him, and he was in the White House. And so he testified, even though he's denying that, you know, they're— cooperating with the committee. <laughs> Seems to me they're cooperating with the committee. And along with that, uh, a couple of Pence's attorneys, Mike Pence's attorneys testified. One of them was a judge named, uh, he's not his attorney, I, I misspoke, but he is a judge that is acquainted with them. It was his uh, particular writing about um, uh, the electors that caused Pence to say that he would not uh, he would not stop the whatever the acceptance of the electors that were presented that particular day on January the 6th. All right, so Ludic, the judge that gave Mike Pence the excuse to do that, and that's my feeling about it, uh, was introduced by, actually, let's do it backwards, you guys. Let's go to clip five. Uh, this is uh, whoever's presiding on the committee introducing Ludic. Let's listen. Clip five. We're fortunate to have a bipartisan staff. Senior Investigative Counsel John Wood previously served as United States Attorney in Missouri under President George W. Bush. He and I will share today's lines of questioning. Mr. Wood. Thank you, Mr. Aguilar. Uh, Judge Ludig, I had the incredible honor of serving as one of your law clerks. Another person who did uh, was John Eastman. And you have written that Dr. Eastman's theory that the Vice President could determine who the next President of the United States is is, in your words, incorrect at every turn. Could you please explain briefly your analysis? I could answer that question perfectly if I had uh, at my disposal either Mr. Eastman's tweet or my own <coughs> analytical tweet of September 21st, but I don't. And Judge, I can read to you and to the audience, I think what was a really key passage from your very insightful analysis when you wrote, I believed that Professor Eastman was incorrect at every turn of the analysis in his January 2nd memorandum, beginning with his claim that there were legitimate competing slates of electors presented from seven states, and you've already addressed that issue. But your next sentence said, Continuing to his conclusion that the vice president could unilaterally decide not to count the votes from the seven states from which competing slates were allegedly presented. So what was your basis for concluding that Dr. Eastman was incorrect in his conclusion that the vice president could unilaterally decide not to count the votes from these disputed states? All right. Well, what I had Adam do was cut that up a bit because Ludic just, it was almost painful to listen to him. Now, that's beside the point. He could be brilliant. He must be. I guess he must be. He's very, very slow. Maybe he has a medical problem. Uh, but that's how it started. And uh, he's, John Eastman's wrong on every point. And, uh, and so, but he goes further than that. This is where it gets interesting to me. 
He goes out of the realm of his uh, analysis of whether that could have happened constitutionally and goes to something quite different that really is not the reason he was there. You can see from this that he really does have an opinion. This is clip three. I have written, as you said, Chairman Thompson, that today, almost two years after that fateful day in January 2021, that still Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. All right, so so how did he jump to that? I you know, one thing it's one thing about giving an analysis about the constitution and whether the vice president could have stopped the acceptance of the electors paused it to consider the state's disputes. It's quite a different thing to go on and say that, um, what did he say? Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to democracy. He goes on and says this, clip four. That's not because of what happened on January 6th. It's because to this very day, the former president, his allies and supporters pledge that in the presidential election of 2024, if the former president or his anointed successor as the Republican Party presidential candidate, were to lose that election, that they would attempt to overturn that 2024 election in the same way that they attempted to overturn the 2020 election, but succeed in 2024, where they failed in 2020. And to that I say, balderdash. What a ridiculous, what a ridiculous man. Uh, He's a judge, and he's supposed to be objective, and he's testifying. He's giving them more than they had hoped for. This is great stuff. I heard pundits talk about this, how powerful, how amazing this testimony was. But he says, still, Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are clear and present danger to democracy. You can see that he has no opinion on Donald Trump. He's perfectly objective. He's just concerned about the Constitution, right? And whether Pence had a, Vice President Pence had the right or the authority to, oh, no, I think maybe he had an opinion. He Maybe he had a different opinion. Maybe he, too, was a never-Trumper. You think that's possible? And, of course, let me just say that in the New York Times is even reporting that it was his memo, Ludig's memo, that caught, gave Mike Pence, I wish I could read the exact words, but basically the excuse uh, to not um, 
to ignore what John Eastman's advice was to him. Okay, so that brings us to John Eastman, and I want to have time to do this because John Eastman has been painted as the villain here. He is the attorney that suggested that Mike Pence might not have to accept those electors in that moment. But I want to read it in John's words because he has he was going to be our guest this morning and he couldn't. So I'm going to read his article to you. He just had a piece published in the Wall Street Journal. And this is what it is titled, The Vice President's Electoral Count Powers. And listen carefully because this is important and we will put this on our getter page, but you have to be a uh, you have to be a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal to be able to read this. Regarding the January 6th committee's missing reform, the Wall Street Journal editorial board endorses what it takes to be Mike Pence's view that the, quote, the Constitution does not give the vice president unilateral power to reject electoral votes. The argument to the contrary came from the law professor, John Eastman. That's what the Wall Street Journal editorial printed just last week. And John goes on to say the editor's cite as authorities a formal federal appeals judge, the conservative Michael Ludig, and that's uh, who testified that there was no basis in the Constitution or laws of the United States at all for the theory espoused by Mr. Eastman. And Greg Jacob, a lawyer for Mr. Pence, who testified that, quote, we examined every single electoral vote count that had happened in Congress since the beginning of the country. No vice president in 230 years of history had ever claimed to have that kind of authority. John goes on to say, the journal's reliance on these authorities introduces a distortion. And then, there is some historical evidence that Adams and Jefferson both resolved issues over the validity of electoral votes in their own favor. And in 1857, the president of the Senate, a role, uh, it doesn't matter the name, personally overruled an objection to the counting of Wisconsin's electoral votes and said it was his responsibility to make the validity determination in the first instance. As for John Ludick, he appears to be unfamiliar with the scholarly and historical support of my position. As I publicly stated many times, it is an open question as to whether or not, whether or not the vice president has the power to judge the validity of disputed electoral votes. And he goes on and count, gives all of these sources uh, where this has happened in the past. He gives uh, links, which I don't have time to get to here, but as an article in the Commentaries on American Law that says the Constitution does not expressly declare by whom the votes are to be counted and the result declared. In the case of questionable votes and closely contested election, this power may be all-important, and I presume, in the absence of legislative provision, the President of the Senate counts the votes and determines the result. And that would be a Vice President Pence. And again, it goes on and on. And so... Um, I wish I had time to read more of this, but John's coming out swinging, and he should, because he's really the one who's right on this issue. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.